Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Y'all, I am very excited to continue along the series we're calling Getting Started. I've been trying to think about how we, we talk about the series, and then um, Courtney and I had a little, uh, we were at, staying at a hotel Wednesday night, something like that, and every time we go away to a hotel where there's actually cable, we turn it on HGTV. She's like, we got to do that, right? So we see whatever show, and it's like every other show, maybe all the shows are in some way or another renovating a house. You know what I mean? That's pretty much all the shows, and I feel like that's a lot of what we're doing in this series is when you renovate a house, first you got to, a lot of times, tear the old one down before you can put up a new one. And that, that, that's called demo day, right? So that's, I feel like what we're in the middle of today. And I want you to be aware of it. That's what we're getting into because we are learning the thing today that I feel like just demolished my really some bad religious practices that I had set up in my life after becoming a Christian, like seven years after becoming a Christian, I'd set up what I realized were just some unhealthy and they were burdensome. And the Lord used this lesson that I'm going to teach you today to knock some of that stuff down and rebuild what I believe to be a more joyful, thriving Christian life as a result of it. And so I want you to kind of be prepared for, some of you may get, I know it happened in the first service, might happen to you today, might get, get a wrecking ball um, as the Holy Spirit through, we're going to be in John 15. As we walk through that, I feel like it's going to be something that I hope at the end of this leaves you filled with joy and hopefulness for what's ahead of you. But this is one of these lessons that you can put, it's very simple, you can put it into practice, I mean this afternoon, tonight, and I hope you'll put it into practice every single day from now until you die. It is that foundational. Like this is, if you're rebuilding the house, this is the foundation, right? The rest of the series, we're going to be talking about like how to build out and walk in the Christian life, talking about community and mission and the gospel for the city, but it all is built on what we're talking about today, all right? So John 15, I'm going to give you the sermon in two words, okay? Abide and obey. That's the two words that we're going to describe the sermon. In fact, that's the title of the sermon, Okay? How to follow Jesus with joy, abide, and obey. All right, in fact, I made the sermon um, really pretty simple for you. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll, um, we'll kind of get into the sermon. All right, so I'm going to read to you John 15, 1 through 11, and you're going to hang with me. You guys ready? We're going to dive in. You ready? Yeah. yeah, me and you right there. Yaakov, me and you are in, man, the rest of these people. Um, all right, here we go. Verse 1. I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Your translation might read gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you 
unless you will abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. This, man, this is the big one right here. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Don't, this is the last verse. Don't let that just kind of forget about it just because it's the last verse. That my joy might be in you. And that your joy, disciples, your joy, follower of Christ, today, your joy may be full. Y'all, this is is so rich and there's so much in here and there's a danger that it's so simple that you can miss it, all right? So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna divide the sermon into two parts. All right, it's gonna be a real shocker what the two parts are. The first part is abide. The second part is obey. All right, so you note takers, we're set up, ready to go. First is abide, right? He has said this in 11 verses. He said, abide in me 10 times. I think this is a big deal to Jesus. And he's tucked it inside of a word picture, right? And part of the reason I think this picture resonates with me is, y'all, I just love gardening. All right, this is a little insight into my life. I was raised in a suburban setting where everything grew in a box in Food Lion. Okay, that's where all, everything that I ate grew out of, right? Well, then I met my wife, Courtney, who was raised on a farm. And on a farm, vegetables grow on plants. It's the craziest thing, okay? So like I go to her farm and I learned that mashed potatoes, they do not originate as flakes in a box. It's crazy. They actually come out of the ground as potatoes and then you mash them up, all right? It's these crazy things that I learned. And now, by the way, now I'm... Um, just moved, we moved to a new home um, this last year. So this is my first year gardening at this spot. So y'all, I love growing corn, but we're in like a little, little neighborhood, a little HOA. And so I know letters are coming about mid-August when my corn stalks about seven feet high, swaying in the breeze. I can't wait, right? But listen, I tell you all of that so that you know that I am an experienced agricultural expert, all right? So you can trust me as I explain this very difficult metaphor to you right now, all right? Now, you ready? This is the metaphor that Jesus uses. We'll use a, a tomato plant as an example. They're pretty easy to grow. A tomato plant's got a main vine and then branches that shoot off. Now, what I've found in all of my years of expert um, opinion and experience and everything is that branches only grow fruit when they are attached to a vine. That's right. Take a minute. Let that really sink in. Any branch that breaks off from the vine doesn't grow fruit. Aren't you glad you have an expert here to help you understand this really complicated metaphor? Um, the, the staff told me I had a great chance to do an NC State burn right there, and I didn't. So be glad. All right, here we go. Um, verse four. Verse four, he says, abide in me. He makes it really clear, y'all. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And in case you've missed what characters are playing what roles in the metaphor, Jesus is the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides 
in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Y'all, he's so clear, which means if we want to bear fruit with our lives, if we want to see God move in our lives, if we want the power to overcome that sin that has been burdening you so much, if we want the power to change into the person that God is calling you to be, if you want to experience the joy from all the promises that God has for you in Christ, we must abide in the vine. It's like a non-negotiable thing. Never once in the history of vines and branches has a branch broken off from the vine and then started producing fruit. It's never happened. When one of my kids is helping me out, if they like snap a tomato branch, I'm not like, oh, you know what? Just go set it on your dresser in your room. It'll grow fruit in about a month. No, of course not. I'm like, you can go toss it in the trash because it's going to wither up and die. Apart from abiding in Jesus, here's why I say this. It's easy to hear this and let it wash over you, but I'm telling you, I've watched so many Christians go through this. They, apart from abiding in Jesus, you will die spiritually. And I've seen it, and I don't want it for you. And in trying to go beyond this simple truth, you actually detach yourself from the vine and the source of the power for changing your life, and I want it for you, okay? So what does it mean? What does it mean then to abide in Jesus? It's a great question. Thank you for asking. He gives us a very important additional thought to that in verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide, and then he gives us something, in my love. I want you to highlight that, underline that, whatever you gotta do, Y'all, I have, pre- I have referenced this verse more in the history of Mercy Church, however young it is, more than any other verse because it is that critical. The word abide, it means to, the, the word means to make your home in, to live in. Now, where do we see, it says make your home in, in his love. Well, where do we see Christ's love? We see it in the gospel. Romans 5.8, this is the love of God for us. Right? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. And what did he do with that love? God loved us, and then he sent his son to pay the price for our sins. The love of God for us is the gospel. Don't let that wash over you. Christ's love for you, it's found in that he died for you, that he rose for you. Remember last week? The gospel in three words is Jesus For you, you didn't deserve his love. You didn't earn his love. No, no, Christ died. He didn't didn't come and die to save friends and followers. He came and he died to save his enemies, you and I. And he offers salvation as a free gift that we then receive. That's the gospel, Jesus for you. And the effect of abiding, making your home in, dwelling in, living in that love. It's amazing. Making your home in that love is where the power for real lasting change comes from, real, bearing real spiritual fruit. Now, so naturally, the next question is, as we're building this idea out, what does it mean? How functionally do I abide? Do I dwell? Do I make my home in that? Well, I actually love the, um, there's a translation I know some of y'all use. I use it from time to time up here. It's called the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. And I love the translation of the word abide it uses because it, it uses the word remain, which is a good word there, remain in my love. And the reason I like it is because we Christians tend to think of this incredible love of God, this great gospel truth. 
as just kind of the starting point to the Christian life. Or as we say it around here often, the, the front door to the Christian life. And so what we'll do is we'll walk through the door and then we'll leave the gospel behind because we've already walked through the door and so now we're in the house and we think Christian growth comes by increasing in knowledge and in activity. That's not growth. Y'all, we must learn that the gospel is not the front door to the Christian life. It's the whole house. We say it a lot around here. It's the whole house. We gotta make our home in there. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you a little, um, a little, little image that maybe this will help you. It helped me a lot. It comes straight from Jerry Bridges' book, Discipline of Grace, which I would highly commend to you um, to read it and dig more into this. But let me, here's why I'll explain it to you. A lot of Christians, the way we look at our Christian life, um, because the cross of Christ is so important to us, we kind of look at our whole life from birth to death in terms of two stages. There's before Christ, and then there's after we meet Christ, right? And, that, and really, salvation becomes like this linchpin moment. Let me show you kind of the way we talk about our life. So a, a typical Christian will talk about their life this way. It's like, I was an unbeliever, right? I didn't believe in the gospel message, Jesus' death and resurrection, but then I had this moment where I came to understand Christ died for me. That was my moment of salvation. That's happened for some of y'all just in the past few weeks here at Mercy. But whenever that happened, that's like that big moment. And then from then on, then I, I consider myself a believer, right? All the way up really past the point of death because we believe in eternity with Christ, right? And so then here's what we think. So this is the way we think about our lives. And I think that's fair and good because the cross is that important. So then as Christians, we tend to think, all right, I know that the one, if I had to pick one word that describes my deepest need before I met Christ. The deepest need before I met Christ. The one word we would use to describe that deepest need would be the word gospel. Right? We need the gospel. You need to hear Jesus died for your sins. And if you come to faith in him, you can find forgiveness from your sins. And so this is kind of what our life looks at. We think about it and we go, that was my biggest need. I was far from God. I needed God's salvation. But then what I often find is that there's this assumption that our need for the gospel stops right there at that moment of conversion, right? Where it, it, now that moment's big. We do need that there. We're made righteous before God because we receive Christ's righteousness. But what I find is that from then on, once we receive the gospel message and the news that Christ gives us, we walk through the door kind of in our minds, we pass by, and now we think, all right, what's my biggest need now that I have received this gospel message, now that, now that I've walked through the door, well, now what I need, uh, as I read the Bible, it feels like my understanding of what I need now, my, my biggest, deepest need as a Christian is discipleship. So now what I need, uh, this is the way a lot of people, a lot of Christians think, is that I need discipleship. After all, Jesus said, make disciples, right? That's the Great Commission. As believers, we are continually challenged by the demands and duties of discipleship. Bible study, church attendance, prayer, giving, serving the poor, etc. These are God's commands to his church. And there's plenty of room to argue, right, that there needs to be more emphasis on discipleship in our church and in, in other churches in general. But listen to me. There is something more foundational that we as Christians need to hear. Something that if... <laughs> Something that without it, discipleship is going to become a drudgery. And what I found is that when we think our biggest, deepest need is how to behave, and we think about discipleship only as 
how to behave. I've seen so many Christians get burned out on that because it's tiring, it's drudgery, it's often built on guilt and fear. Listen, it is only the joy of hearing the gospel and being reminded that our sins are forgiven in Christ that turns discipleship into joy. Y'all, what we most need to hear as followers of Christ is the gospel. That's what we need every day. Because it's subtle, but when we forget it, when we think that we've already passed by that, that was just the ABCs and now we're on to something more, we stop abiding in Christ's love for us. And then our hearts will start to believe that God's approval of us, it's subtle, but our hearts will start to believe that God's approval of us is based on how we perform that day. And I'll show you how it works. Um, we'll take, uh, let's take tomorrow and the next day, okay? So let's take uh, Monday and Tuesday. All right, let's say tomorrow. Here's, here's your life, Christian. You wake up early, all right, which is awesome. That never happens. You're up early and you read your Bible for one hour. After that, you, you're on your way into work early. You got time. You see a stranded driver. You stop to help them out. And then you go into work and you crush it at work. You even buy a coworker lunch because they forgot their lunch money. You're being generous. You've got coffee scheduled with a non-Christian friend at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. And you've been spending all day, every moment, because you've been crushing work, every moment, between every email, you've been praying and asking God to prepare you for that meeting tonight, right? You got a chance to share the gospel. You're so excited about it. Now, let me go to the next day, Tuesday. Tuesday, you wake up late. You speed to work. You are definitely breaking the law as you go, right? And then you're snippy with your boss because you can't believe she's mad that you're late. So then you Twitter burn her, right? And then you, what do you do after that? You turn in what you know is halfway decent work. It's pretty sloppy, and you hope boss lady doesn't know it. And then at 7.50 that night, your phone reminds you that you have coffee with that friend who's a non-believer in 10 minutes, and pshing, blitzing out the door, you go, a little bit frustrated and wondering whether or not you should even cancel it. Now, in which one of those scenarios is God more likely to work through you? The answer is both, because God's approval of you and his ability to use you are not based on your religious performance that day. Y'all, keeping the gospel in front of us, it keeps us from falling into good day, bad day religion. Good day religion thinks that God will approve more of me than he does others because of my religious performance of that day. That's what the Pharisees in Jesus' day were doing. That's not the gospel. That's just pride. Now, bad day religion is the overwhelming feeling of guilt because I can never seem to live up to God's standards that he sets for me. Both good day and bad day have forgotten the meaning of the gospel, have forgotten the meaning of grace, and have slipped into performance-based religion. But the gospel, the love of God for you, the vine that you are to abide in, it says something completely different. The gospel says your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Y'all, when you drift into good day, bad day religion, you know what we're doing when we do that? We're going back into the courtroom and trying to defend ourselves before God, 
Maybe you do that because you've got this internal sense of justice. That you're like, I can't believe Christ actually, um, that God approves of me based on what Christ did for me. You still feel like you got to prove yourself. But look, Jesus has already settled that case. His performance, not yours, makes God approve of you. Y'all, I slip into this so easily. I did this multiple times this week. It was not me trying to figure out whether I had anything, but which one to share with you, okay? Um, Sunday night, Courtney and I got in an argument, per usual. And per usual, I was in the wrong. Um, I realized eventually, and then I thought, well, now that I've gotten into this argument, right, I have made a fool of myself. I have really sinned against my wife. And then I was thinking about how um, I got to preach a sermon this week on living the Christian life. And I thought to myself, I am in no place to be used by God in any way this week. And then I read that <laughs> Disciplines of Grace comment about good day, bad day religion, and I realize I'm falling victim to the very thing that I'm about to come and tell you not to fall victim to. I think this morning, this morning, I got up and I was like, all right, I have a Sunday morning routine, y'all, okay? I'm out of the door by 6 a.m., got time to pray, spend a lot of time praying over you guys, everything else. Not this morning, 5 a.m., one of my kids throws up. And so I'm like, okay, mom's gonna stay home with the kid. And now dad's gotta stay here at the house, help get the kids ready. So I'm like, all right, it'll be okay. Printer runs out of ink, great, can't even print my sermon, right? And then on top of that, I tell Courtney, all right, 7 8 o'clock, I need to be at the church, all right? And she hears 8, 8 o'clock is when we're gonna leave to go to church. So I come down at 7 45, and the kids aren't even dressed. We're all having breakfast and everything. And I'm like, this is a terrible day, you know? Everything's going wrong. How in the world am I gonna be able to be used by God with this kind of a day? And I'm like, and I've already written a sermon that talks about good day, bad day, religion, and here I am falling right back into it. It's so easy for us to slip there, y'all. Now, while, listen, freeing yourself from good day, bad day, religion is a great thing for Christians, but it's something different to those of you who are not Christians, the gospel says, listen to me, you're not yet a follower of Christ. You cannot be a good enough person to earn God's acceptance. God is perfect and infinite. So one sin makes you imperfect, no matter how much you try to do to outweigh that one sin. That'd be like me saying to Courtney, listen, I have been faithful to you 98% of the time that we've been married. Do you think, I mean, that, that's faithfulness that way outweighs unfaithfulness. So do you think when I tell her that, she is going to celebrate my faithfulness to her? No. She's going to take that cast iron skillet that she learned to use when her mama taught her how to cook, and she's going to come at me with that thing, right? The same with your sin and God. One sin puts you in God's eternal debt, and you cannot pay that debt on your own. Y'all, that's why every single weekend, we put, again, God's love in the gospel out in front of you and call you to receive that gift. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. You must receive it, but he offers it to you in Christ, and that's your only way forward with God. Listen, I know, I know some of you are so steeped in performance-based religion that you probably look at this and you go, well, if that's the reality, if it's only that we have to to just sit in and abide in God's love for us. You know, the way Watchman Nee described it, a Chinese pastor, first half of uh, last century, he said, you know, you can't walk, right? You can't walk forward in the Christian life unless you sit in the gospel. And he, he used the illustration of like a car. 
Like only when you sit down in the car and then the car takes you forward do you actually go forward. So this is the way it works with God. You sit down in God's love for you and then the spirit of God carries you along in your Christian life. And some of you are like, well, if it's all about that and all I have to do is sit in God's love, what keeps us from living a life of complete disobedience to God? If our performance doesn't matter, then who cares? Well, first I'd say, listen, nothing is going to curb enthusiasm for Jesus like guilt. You start hanging guilt and fear over people, you see how much true joy they really find. But secondly, I want you to hear Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, there's a little, little comment in the middle of talking about living the Christian life. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love motivates us. Should we obey God? Yes. But the challenge to obey needs to be fueled by the gospel, not by duty or guilt. This has revolutionized my life. Here's how. When I became a Christian, the 13-year-old, one of the first things that happened is I was given a checklist. And each week, my accountability partner, another 13-year-old guy recently came to faith, he would ask me if I had done the things on the list. And weekly checkups on obedience was my Christian life for years. We even created consequences for failure. All right, so if you didn't read the Bible that day, that's $1 for every day that you didn't read the Bible. You go too far with a girl, that's $10, right? You're really going to pay. Now, you're going to be shocked at what I did in response to this. I started lying about my performance. Of course I did. I didn't want people to know that I was tired of being a Christian. I didn't like reading books, so I didn't like reading the Bible. My money that I was earning from mowing yards was my money. I didn't want to give that to God. I liked girls, right? All of these things. And y'all, fear and guilt religion was just a burden that I didn't want to carry. I was tired of it. In fact, I went to college fully planning to throw that whole thing off. And that's when God in his grace caught me early on through a friend that introduced me to what I'm sharing with you today, the gospel life where Christian growth is all centered on abiding in Christ's love for you. Let me use uh, another little diagram to show you how it worked for me. For a long time, I just kind of realized I was sinful, right? And God is holy. So we use this kind of example. And this is what I knew, right? This is why I had the checklist. The checklist was designed to help me work my way back to being approved by God. So I knew I was a sinner, but if I do all the checklist things, then God will still approve of me and I'll be, I'll be approved by God and things will be okay. But that was tiresome, right? And then I started lying about it anyways. And even if I would have done all those things, what I know is that I never would have been fully approved of by God. So then I meet a, I meet a guy um, in college who says, man, actually the way you're living, you don't even fully understand it because you, you haven't actually read your Bible. But if you read your Bible, here's what you're actually gonna see as a Christian, right? And so he showed me this. He said, the more you read your Bible, and the closer, the more you come to understand the Christian faith, what you're going to actually realize is that God is way holier than you think he is. And you are way more of a sinner than you think you are. Right? And the more that you spend time in God's word and get to know him, you're going to realize that the gap grows bigger and bigger between your sinfulness and God's holiness. He said, but this is what makes the Christian life so joyful. And this is why... When you abide in Christ's love and the gospel, here's what happens. The cross of Christ starts to grow bigger and bigger 
and bigger in your heart and in your mind because that alone is the thing that will bring you out of your sinfulness and declare you holy and justified before God. You will never be able to perform enough to earn God's holiness, God's salvation. You can't earn it. And so what are you left to do but to worship Jesus Christ? And that's my plea for some of you today is to worship him because you finally see you cannot work your way to God's approval. I think of the, um, the woman in Luke 7 who wiped Jesus' feet with her own hair using expensive oil. And there was, you know, the disciples around like, Jesus, don't let her do that. Don't you know her reputation? She's a woman of the city, as they, they called her. She's got a bad reputation. Why would you let her do that? And Jesus looks up and, of course, sees what's going on, and he tells them a parable. He says there was a, there was a loan shark who had two guys that owed money to him. One owed $50, the other owed $500. Well, the loan shark forgave both debts, and Jesus looks at them and he says, which one of those two will love him more? Well, they say, naturally, well, the one who owed 500, he was forgiven $500. And Jesus says, right, this woman who keeps kissing my feet and wiping my feet with her hair, she's like that. She's got a bad reputation. She has lots to be forgiven for. And then when she finds forgiveness in Christ, look at what it does to her. She actually sees her sin, and it's led her to worship. Her forgiveness that she has has led her to worship. And that same opportunity is available to you. Now, I know what you're thinking. In light of all this, how then? How do I abide? If that's where Christ is calling me into, how do I do it? I'm going to give you three steps you can take every single day. I'm trying to live this whole thing out because I find joy in it. The first one, repent of your sin. Y'all, I'm not today promoting a faith that doesn't care about sin. Instead, I'm actually promoting one that cares about it more, the one that, that hates it because Christ's love is now turning my heart away from my sin, but my flesh keeps drifting back over towards it, which is why this is a daily exercise. It's to repent and say, Lord, I'm turning from my sin and coming back to your love because I found your love to be better to me. Uh, there's a great a sermon that we did a while back on the Lord's Prayer. If you want kind of a, a little bit more of a, a framework for how to pray through this, I would commend that one to you. Um, secondly, repent of your sin, then believe the gospel. Rehearse it over yourself, right? Good day, bad day. No, no, no. I, I'm loved. I'm never beyond the reach of God's grace, yet I always need it. Rehearse that to yourself. This is why, by the way, this is the primary reason we tell you to read your Bible and pray every day while we're always offering you Bibles to take home and everything like that, is to rehearse the gospel over yourself so you can lean back into that. Once again, you can encounter a love not based on performance. You can remember you are not saved because of how committed you are to Jesus. You're saved because of how committed he was to you. Lastly, obey Jesus. I know that sounds kind of simple. Obey Jesus. This leads me to the second part of the sermon. First part was abide. These last couple minutes are going to be on obey. This is verses 10 and 11 from our passage. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You catch that? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
How fascinating. Just after telling them that the way to bear fruit is to abide, he says the way to abide is to obey. And when you obey, you will abide. And there, when you are abiding and obeying, that's where you find joy in the Christian life. Now, some of y'all's brains are like a pretzel right now. He's like, that sounds like a contradiction, but I know it's Jesus, so I'm sure it's not, but I don't understand. So here's the thing. Abiding in Christ's love comes first. We must abide, make our home there, remain there. And when we really do remain there, what's going to happen is you're going to desire to obey his commands. And listen, every time you obey his commands, what you're doing is you're stepping out a little bit and putting a little bit of trust in Christ, a little bit of trust that things are going to work out okay for you when you're doing things according to the way he tells you to instead of the way your instincts would tell you to, right? Right there, when we are trusting him, that's where he starts to give us joy in the Christian life. In conversations, discipleship conversations, talking with um, many of you, I've had these conversations where it's like, man, I feel like I am abiding, you know, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, but I just feel like I'm in a a dry season spiritually. God seems distant. I'm not feeling it. And and the response that myself, some of our other pastors have found that has really seemed to to work well on each of us and on, on some of you is, are you obeying Jesus radically in any way? And so what happens is usually the answer is not, they haven't obeyed Jesus in any way that was risky or that required them to step out and trust at all. So then they go and they obey Jesus. They step out and risk themselves and then and that they're, they're gonna trust Jesus and then it goes well for them. And then they experience joy and that lights up their hearts for Christ. So one thing I'd commend to you is if you're like, I feel like I'm abiding, I feel like I'm resting in Christ, but it just still feels distant, go leave here and obey Jesus in some way. Go be radically generous to someone this afternoon, right? Maybe it's time to go repent for some things that you've done wrong to someone and you guys got some, some real conflict in your relationship. Just obey him and see what happens. Listen, let me give you a couple of steps so that you know when we say obey Jesus, what we're talking about. I'm gonna give you kind of the, the, the clear ones that Jesus gave to his disciples over and over again, okay? I think I have seven. They'll go pretty fast, all right? Here's the first one. Repent and believe. First step of obeying Jesus, repent and believe. I already said this, won't stay here too long. Mark 1.15 says that discipleship, which we are very much saying we have to do, the gospel is the foundation for it, but we're to walk us as disciples. It begins with repentance and belief. And some of you have never taken that step, but you gotta start here. Believe the gospel. Receive Christ's forgiveness. I did that at age 13, and that day God gave me joy. Yes, it took me a long time to learn that I did not have to base my joy on how I performed, but he did save me that day, and maybe you're ready to take that step. I know several have done so in the last few weeks, and that leads me to my next one. Be baptized. This is the big one today, okay? The first step of obedience to Jesus after you repent and believe is baptism. He says to his disciples, baptize and teach them. He actually models it for them and says, do like I did. Peter says in Acts to the people who were like, okay, we want to believe. He says, okay, repent and then be baptized. Y'all, that's why we love celebrating baptism around here. I've never seen someone come up out of the water and be sad. (laughs) Never once. They're always joyful. Why? Because you are obeying Jesus. 
You're, you're trusting him, surrendering yourself to him. So here's what we're doing. This month, we are giving everybody who needs to the chance to obey Jesus in this one simple step, all right? The way the series is going to end is we're going to end with baptisms, April 29th, both services. And some of y'all need to take that step, okay? It's a big step, but I'm telling you, it is that public profession of faith, aligning yourself and saying, yes, I believe he has done everything necessary to save me. I'm going to go wherever he calls me to do whatever he tells me to do. I'm in, Jesus. And you're going to find joy there. It's a little scary right now to think about it, but I promise you, and so do the others who have gone before you, you will find joy there. So here's what we're going to do. There's a little card that you got. It was on your seat when you came in. Listen, it says, I want to be baptized. So that it's kind of clear as to why you have the card, okay? Here's what we're going to do. At the end of service, we're going to pass some buckets around, and everybody's going to drop that card in the bucket. That way we can use them later for the ones that nobody's writing on, okay? And it'll make it a little bit easier for you, but you write your name, email, phone, or how we can get in touch with you, and we will walk with you. One of our elders, pastors, will walk with you on that decision and, and have some conversations before the 29th, and then we will celebrate together on the 29th. That's going to be a big day in the life of our church, and you can take that Take that step, all right? What a great way to finish out the series. A couple more ways to follow Jesus, and I'm going to get out of here. Love one another. Love one another. John 13, you know what Jesus does? He gets down on his knees. He washes the disciples' feet, and then he says this. Do this to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Too many Christians feel dry spiritually, and I learned that they're serving no one but themselves because they're too busy with life to obey Jesus. And then they start serving others, sacrificing their time, their energy, maybe even their pride. And in doing so, it brings them joy because they're obeying Jesus. And that joy then is, is motivation to go back and abide in Christ. Y'all, I feel like I, we should never have to recruit for ministry team members around here because you guys should be climbing over each other to have the opportunity to love one another that way because you know you're gonna experience joy when you do. There's the next one, pray always and do not give up. The New Testament is filled with this. Pray without ceasing. Jesus was always talking to God, always putting himself onto the Father and then always commanding his disciples to pray. And I found in my life, this is the first thing to go. So when I'm feeling the sense of, I'm feeling dry spiritually, I look back, it's like, man, I haven't been talking with God. And it's been plenty of times through prayer and fasting that God has brought me joy in Christ, which shouldn't be surprising because I'm obeying God. Next is give. Give. Mark 4.19, Jesus says, watch out. The deceitfulness of riches will choke out the word in your life and make your life unfruitful. This one and the last one I have for you, I've watched revolutionize so many Christians. Maybe you don't know this, you're newer to church, but God calls you to give of your money to his mission. And when you do so, the love of money, which Jesus talks about more than anything else in Scripture because it's so deceitful, it's so, man, so subtle in the way that it grabs our heart. He says, when you start to give, money starts to loosen its grip on your heart, which makes room for you to start loving God, to start abiding in his love. And you will find Jesus. I promise you, you will have to step out and trust him, but you'll find him to be better than money. So abide in his love. Uh, there's a guy I know in his 50s, became a Christian in college, and he said it was that. So when he started giving, that's when finally 
It was like Christ broke through. He's, he's like, and I feel like I finally understand my salvation because I, though I would say I was a Christian, I would not let God touch my money, never gave. And finally, at just two months after he started giving, he was a totally different man. And he was like, how much should I give? I said, enough that you feel it. And maybe that's the, com- the commission to you today. Old Testament's gonna say 10% of your income goes back out to God. I'm gonna say start with enough that you feel it, where you have to trust him and see what he does. Some of you gotta take that step. And again, it's not for mercy's sake, but it's so you can experience joy. Here's the last one, go. Go. You ever come back from a, for those of you that have been on like a short-term mission trip, all excited? Uh, most people do, not always, but most of the time. And even if you're tired, you're excited. In the re- we often call it the mission trip high, right? Now, why are you so excited? Well, it boils down to, you've just been obeying Jesus for a whole week, right? And it's like, listen, that's actually available to you here and now every week. And you can experience the joy from doing so. I tell you guys, this idea is so simple. There's a danger that you miss its power. Don't miss the power of what Christ is telling you today. Are you abiding in his love? Are you obeying him? Those are the two pillars of the Christian life. And we're gonna talk about this more next week as we talk about community, but you need someone asking you those questions every week. Are you abiding? Are you abiding? Who is it that you are lined up with, leaning on, say, man, are you abiding? Let me remind you of God's love for you.